name is Ryan Miner. I am your host of a Minor Detail Radio podcast, where the minor details of every story matter. Each week, I talk to Maryland newsmakers, from elected officials, journalists, political candidates, to policy wonks and everyday Marylanders. A Minor Detail podcast is the fusion between Maryland news and politics. Real people, real stories, honest conversation. You can also follow us on the web at aminordetail.com. Sit back, relax, and have fun. We're live on a Minor Detail Radio podcast. Good evening, everybody. Happy Sunday. Happy weekend. And you are listening to, as I said, it, a Minor Detail Radio podcast. I'm your fearless host. Well, maybe not so much fearless, but I'm your host, Ryan Miner. Uh, been busy lately um, fo- following the election. I have a couple of uh, speaking gigs coming up. That should be exciting to talk about the election. I had the opportunity this past Tuesday to speak before the Maryland uh, Government Relations uh, Committee uh, in Annapolis. That was a great time and and a pretty fun opportunity. And tonight, my guest, um, who was actually at the Redskins game, Jerry Walker. Hey, Jerry, sorry about the Redskins today, man. 23 to 21, almost had a comeback. Colt McCoy had a hell of a game, but... uh, Sad to see what happened to uh, their QB. Yeah, that was pretty terrible. Um, and 33 years ago today, apparently, was the Joe Theismann similar injury is what I'm told. Yeah, I saw a tweet that he, he sent out today, and it looks like Alex Smith, he broke bones in two legs, and uh, it looks yeah. like he's going to be out for the rest of the season, man. That's that's terrible. I know I'm a big Redskins fan, so it was a sad day for sure, but but Colt did well. He looked pretty good, actually. So we just need to, yeah. I guess, figure out what we're going to do next and get him worked into the system and see how he performs the rest of the year. My Steelers toppled the Jacksonville Jaguars today, so I'm, you know, a little happy about that. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Lots of Baltimore fans probably aren't. <laughs> yeah, I know. We we could. We, I think talking sports tonight would be a little bit better than maybe talking politics, but I think politics in Anne Arundel County are just as interesting uh, as uh, the NFL and what happened today in, uh, in Sunday afternoon football. But uh, I have with me the distinct pleasure of having a good friend of mine and a terrific guy, a public servant at heart, Jerry Walker, councilman in Anne Arundel County. And I asked him to come on because the Anne Arundel County politics have changed a little bit this past election cycle and who knows best than Jerry Walker, who's been involved in politics for quite a bit and he's done some great work on the council. So, Hey, Jerry, welcome. Thanks for doing this tonight. Oh yeah, absolutely. Always glad to be on. And uh, I challenge the fact that you're, you are not fearless because I think you are fearless. (laughs) You tend to take on topics and, uh, and people and, and uh, issues that uh, folks tend to ignore or, are scared to so uh kudos to you i appreciate that it's uh it, it we talk look i love maryland it's our home it's going to be my home for the rest of my life and we I, I care about my community where i grew up where i live now and i care about the towns and cities and municipalities and we talk about some tough issues sometimes but we try to get to the heart of our politics who we are as a people in maryland and that's why i do what i do and 
and people criticize me, but I take it in stride and it's, it's, it's a, it's a good opportunity to do this. And I always appreciate when people give me listener feedback and say, Hey, you should talk about this. And in fact, somebody sort of brought to my attention that I should really do a show on what's happening in Anne Arundel County and the transition there. And so I thought, well, you know what, Jerry Walker, he's in, he knows better than anybody else. And I live in Montgomery County and look, Jerry, Montgomery County politics, we have our, <laughs> there's a lot going on up here with our new County executive. And speaking of which in Anne Arundel County, how about that new County executive, Stuart Pittman? I couldn't believe it. Yeah. That was the big shocker for me. What say you? Well, I, you know, as, as an Anne Arundel person, I was kind of honestly watching the Montgomery County races as well. I uh, just yeah. very uh, interested, and I, I know you were as well as with the uh, whole entrance of Nancy Florine into the mix, you know, after mm-hmm. the primary. So that was uh, definitely interesting to see the outcome there. And, and I'm still trying to figure out, I guess, what you know, where where independent voters, unaffiliated voters, really are, what, what they're thinking. You know, you see Neil Simon in the race for Senate, and uh, just trying to figure out where, you know, if, if they if they actually feel comfortable voting for an unaffiliated candidate. You know, it, it it looked to me like, from the numbers I saw, that most of them went with either one of the two standard party candidates instead of, you know, the options they had in front of them, which I wow. thought was interesting. But you're right. I mean, in Anne Arundel, um, you know, we've been, uh, for the past couple of cycles, definitely, uh, tr- you know, trending sort of in a Republican-type direction. Um, and uh, you, you look at the House, our House delegation was 8-7 uh, eight Democrats, seven Republicans on the House side. And, of course, three of those uh, Democrat delegates represent District 21, which, if you're not familiar with sort of the maps and the the Senate district lines here in Anne Arundel, we have four Senate districts that are wholly located in Anne Arundel, so that we don't share, you know, any of those districts with another county. Uh, We do share one, District 21, with Prince George's, and about two thirds or so of that of that district are located in Prince George's and less than a third is here in Anne Arundel. So we have four, you know, four whole Senate districts and then a partial sort of fifth one that sits there. And so those three Prince George's delegates have full voting rights on our delegation. And, and that, that gave them an eight, seven split. And now, you know, after the outcome, the final outcome Friday night, um, Democrats actually control the delegation now 10, five, um, which is interesting. Yeah, I want to get into that, but but first, uh, let's talk a little bit about you. You are you're serving your second term on the council, and you, I believe you're are you're the current vice chairman. That's correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm At, finishing up here. The November 30th is my last day. <clears throat> November 30th. That's right. Yeah, we have uh, you know we have term limits here in Anne Arundel uh, on the council oh. and on the county executive. Yes, we do two two terms each. And uh, I've served so finishing up my second term, so um, didn't really have any, you know, options to go back. Uh, and honestly, I was ready for a change. I, I enjoyed serving yeah. on the council, but um, had had, uh, had finished sort of my two terms there and felt like it was time to move on. So, well, you've you've served Anne Arundel County well, and look, Anne Arundel County is not my wheelhouse. I, I it's a place that. I don't get to cover as much as I want to. They had some great local reporters. And, of course, you know, with Annapolis, everybody's covering the, the Annapolis uh, beat in, and during session. But, you know, it's interesting, Jerry. 
I was reading your bio, and I didn't I didn't realize you were one born on the Fourth of July, which is always fascinating, you know, with many other famous people. Um, and uh, you grew up in New York City. I, I didn't know that. I did. I did. Yeah, where at? Yep. Um, I'm sorry. Where where at in New York City? It's a big place. Uh, in Brooklyn, actually. Um, wow. So yeah, I was three months old when my parents moved there, and so. Basically, I, I left there at 18, but, you know, all of my childhood was spent there in uh, in, in Barry's, Brooklyn, right near the Verrazano Bridge, if you're familiar with Brooklyn at all. So, Yeah, and I, I'm i sure that you've been following now that Brooklyn's going to get a little taste of Amazon, and I'm going to be following that story because, you know, look, Marilyn, here in Montgomery, we wanted Amazon, and we didn't get it, but it's across the river uh, now over in Crystal City, they're going to put their second spot. In fact, they're splitting it between Brooklyn and um, and, and Crystal City. So that's going to be an interesting how that's going to the flow. And I see that the what the congresswoman elect over in Brooklyn now, Alexander Ocasio Cortez, is already giving them hell, Jerry. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be interesting <laughs> to watch. Brooklyn's definitely changed from the times that I you know grew up there. And the city has in general. So uh, my brother's still up there, so I head up there occasionally and uh, probably be up there over the Christmas holiday at some point. Oh, um, nice. So but it's, it's definitely changed from when I was growing up there. But uh, some of the changes are for the better, honestly. So That's good. You And you represent District 7. Where is District 7? What's the map like for that in Anne Arundel? Sure. If you're familiar with uh, Anne Arundel, basically if you look sort of at the southern third of the county, that's about what the areas that I represent. It's uh, if you try to draw an imaginary line from Crofton over to Edgewater, it kind of slices through Davidsonville and Riva, um, the way over to Edgewater, and then basically all the way south to um, the Calvert County line. So, I sort of have Prince George's uh, to the one side of me as you head south uh, to the right, and then of course it it turns into Calvert towards the southern tip of the county. About a third of the geography, maybe a little less, uh, but all of the yeah, it's a huge district. But all of the council districts are obviously balanced by population. So I have a very unique district in that it's very rural in some you know spots, which is why I have so much land mass. And then of course concentrations of population up in Edgewater and Davidsonville and Crofton. So and Jerry, I I think at one time if maybe I'm. I think I'm correct. I don't. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. Uh, did, did didn't Governor Hogan live in your district? He did. Yeah. So he was a constituent of mine in my in my first term <laughs> in office, yeah. and uh, got cool. to got to meet him as a part of that. And uh, actually, when I was running, <clears throat> met him initially, and uh, great guy, and uh, had a lot of respect for him. Yeah. So it's well, a pleasure representing him. And, and actually, funny enough, the uh, the incoming county exec elect is also a constituent of mine. So okay. you kind of alluded to that earlier, but they they both were uh, constituents and the incoming county executive. Actually, I've worked on some legislation with him and the Farm Bureau and the Soil Conservation Board um, here in the county over the past eight years since I've been on the council. So I, I know him well. Well, not only have you been active within your community, of course, as a councilman, but you were the uh, the you, you are you still the president of Manco or have they switched over yet? I am still the president of Mako through the end of my council term. Okay. In order to be on the board or in a, an officer position, you have to be a local elected official. So until my when my council term is up here on the 30th, uh, that will be the that will kind of mark the end of my term as president of Mako as well. And the 
the next person in line will sort of slot up into the president's uh, position until we have our actual conference in January. Well, thank you for serving as president of MAKO, a truly valuable organization that many people appreciate the, uh, that represents our local governments all over the state of Maryland. And I'm sure you got to meet so many interesting people, many different councilmen and uh, mayors and uh, county, or county councilmen, city councilmen, town councilmen. And it's just, I think MAKO is one of those organizations that is invaluable to just Maryland in general, as, as far as how we operate in government. And I know that you work really hard at, ba- at leading the organization for more effective government all over the state of Maryland. And Jerry, thank you. Thank you for doing that. It's, it's a tough job. I don't envy that. Yeah. Well, that's well, thank you. You're welcome. I, you know, I enjoyed it. Actually, it was a great honor and great privilege in my mind to do it. And I enjoyed as you said, meeting all the folks all across the state and, and just learning about the different you know, jurisdictions and the different issues. And it, what was probably most interesting more than anything else was just that you know, we basically have jurisdictions of all various sizes and, and budget ranges, but at our core, many of the issues that we struggle with on a day-to-day basis are things that we all struggle with. Um, it's yeah. just a matter of the scope and size of those, whether there's, you know, a certain number of zeros behind them or uh, there, there's not anything that's, you know, I mean, if you have obviously some more, maybe more agricultural issues in the rural areas and some, you know, uh, economic development issues in Western Maryland and things like that. But for the most part, a lot of the issues that county governments, you know, try to work through on a day-to-day basis and improve for the lives of their citizens, we all we all work on those together, and it's great because you, you build sort of camaraderie with other folks across the state, and you listen and learn from other people who try different things, and you try to implement those things here in your jurisdiction and bring something back to your folks. So it's been a neat year, or a little more than a year that I've been the president, and I've really, really enjoyed it, and I'm going to miss it for sure. Well, we'll I'm sure they will miss you as well. And so let's start – at the the very top and tonight we're going to talk about specifically what happened in the election in Anne Arundel County. So starting with the governor's race, I mean Larry Hogan, he got 68.6% of the vote to Ben Jealous is 30.3% of the vote. Ben Jealous is a resident of Anne Arundel County. I, be, I believe that's correct. He's still living there or um and then Larry Hogan I think his official residence now is the governor's mansion, and I know he sold his house, but I don't know where he's living in Maryland outside of Annapolis. But I, I, well, I, I think, think he has right. a house in, think in Ocean City. He had, yeah, he had one in Edgewater. That's where, of course, the area that I represented before uh, before he's governor. My understanding is residency is in Annapolis. There at the governor's um, mansion. So, be interesting um, to see see how uh, yeah. where he moves to after he. After he yeah. finishes his term, maybe maybe to uh, to a different address at sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I'd love the people that are hoping that's happened. That happened. <clears throat> well, he's certainly uh, he certainly carved a path uh, in Maryland that is just impressive. And I am I'm just I watched this election uh, at the governor's race, and uh, we've I've talked about it many times, Jerry, in, in other shows. But the governor uh, clearly was the – it was his to lose, 
and he certainly won it overwhelmingly. It, it wasn't like, you know, it was the second best candidate that people voted against Ben Jealous because he was the alternative. People voted and came out for Hogan. And that's impressive mm-hmm. as a Republican in Maryland. You're also a Republican and it hasn't happened since the fifties. And so that speaks to the kind of leadership uh, and the type the, the style that Hogan has implemented. And it's going to be hard for, I think other Republicans to replicate that style, but maybe they'll, they'll follow his lead. And, you know, in 2022, we'll find somebody in the mold of Larry Hogan, but he whomped Ben Jealous there, 68.6%. Um, the other candidates, the Green Party and Libertarian, they, you know, it's marginal support, but Jealous got 30.3%. And, you know, looking at that race, Jerry, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, look, we all know why, we can all dissect why Mr. Jealous lost the race, lack of money, um, m- maybe not an impressive candidate on the trail, and several other reasons, um, gaffes and whatnot, but it looks like that Anne Arundel County was just Hogan territory. You know, it was, and I, I got a chance to, you know, as, as we sort of uh, covered in one of your previous shows, talking about the fact that Mr. Jealous didn't make it to the, the MACO conference. He actually did, in fact, end up attending the Maryland Municipal League's uh, conference that they had in the city of Annapolis. So, they actually both spoke for lunch there, and I had the opportunity because the MAKO president usually attends some of the MML convention happenings, you know, in Annapolis, and and then vice versa. When we have ours, the MML president comes over. And of course, Maryland uh, MML is the Maryland Municipal League, which is basically all right. of the city mayors and you know, council members across the state. And Mr. Jealous spoke for 15 minutes, and the governor spoke. And you know, from my perspective, it was just such a stark contrast between the two. And, and Mr. Jealous spent a really, uh, I would actually say wasted, really, um, a portion of his time talking about how he got into a Twitter battle with Lieutenant Governor's Twitter account. And it just, you know, it was just kind of like, you know, you have 15 minutes to stand in front of a room uh, full of elected officials and make your pitch as to why they should be behind you and support you and right. what your policies are going to be. And you spend time talking about things like that. It just doesn't. You know, I, I just don't. He was he was off on his messaging. I think there. Um, well, uh, I think that's a good point. So, let's try to make sense of. So, Governor Larry Hogan, he won Anne Arundel County with sixty-eight point six percent of the vote, as we previously mentioned. So, Larry Hogan, of course, is a Republican, running mate Boyd Rutherford, Republican. We go down to the Comptroller Attorney General and U.S. Senator race. Uh, Comptroller Peter Franchot. One also overwhelmingly with 63.9% to basically a virtually unknown competitor, um, Angela Fukin. I think that's how you say her name. I don't want to mispronounce it, but I think that's that's right. Um, and the comptroller is pretty popular there as well. Attorney General, the attorney general race was a little closer. Craig Wolf ended up with 46% to Brian Frosch's 53.9%, and then. Ben Cardin ended up with 53.7% to Republican Tony Campbell, and the rest were marginal. And then looking at representatives in Congress, man, you guys have quite a bit of representatives for Anne Arundel County, Jerry. You have, um, well, uh, Dutch, you have Dutch, who has a sliver, and he got 69%. John Sarbanes got 58% to his virtually unknown opponent. 
Anthony Brown got. And then it's interesting. Anthony Brown got 45% to George McDermott's 50%. This is weird. What, what, what do you make of these election results? With the well, yeah. you know, I mean, as far as the congressional maps, I mean, everybody, you know, that's sort of uh, paying attention, folks like you and me for sure, you know, understand these maps are just gerrymandered and uh, yeah. they're terrible. And basically, they have sliced Anne Arundel into four congressional districts. And so we have four, you know, oh, yeah. congressional races, as you pointed out. I'm sorry. I said, and it, I, I forgot to mention that you have. District 5 also with Steny Hoyer and then another yeah. virtually unknown opponent, Bill Devine, who came in like within two points of that, that, that sliver of the district. That's, that was also interesting to watch. Yeah, the southern part of the county, which is actually where District 5 uh, comes up into my district, and my district tends uh, to be heavily Republican. So that, that sliver of Anne Arundel, it doesn't surprise me that it was as close as it was. Although, you know, Mr. Hoyer's popularity, you know, extends here, even though you're in strong Republican area, just because he has the name ID, you know. So uh, I would suspect that's probably, you know, the reason that that race was as close as it was, at least in the Anne Arundel portion of the district. So District 4 with Anthony Brown and George McDermott's race. McDermott pulled it out 50 to 45. Yeah, the there's about – I want to say there's like around 70 precincts, I think, as I recall. Uh, that are here um, in the county. I don't. I don't know the exact number, but uh, you know, the, the western part of the county is uh, tends to be more heavily Democratic. Um, mm-hmm. But McDermott pulled it out, like you said. But it's obviously a small sliver of the overall congressional district, and I don't know the total numbers, but I'm sure he, you know, easily ended up ahead at the end uh, based on the larger sections that are uh, of the district that are probably over in Prince George's County, as I understand it. And District 3 has 78 precincts, and Sarbanes faced off against Charles Anthony, the Republican. Sarbanes crushed him with 58.6% of the vote to his 387 I, I imagine Sarbanes – I think Sarbanes has the city of Annapolis. Is that correct? He does, yeah. That's and it's an interesting. That's the third district, which is really funny one if you look at it on the map. And it actually, you can't even drive continuously through it because it actually hops down peninsulas um, that are, that extend into the bay. And then of course it picks up the southern part of the district is the, is the, as you mentioned the city of Annapolis, Annapolis Peninsula there. And weirdly so, Dutch Rupersberger has a, a twenty four precincts in Anne Arundel County, and he pulled out 69% to uh, Liz Matori, the Republican challenger. She got 27.7%. That's uh, – where's where's Dutch's district? Um, uh, that is district uh, Toward two. the northern part of the, of the county, um, okay. toward the northern part, and uh, which tends to have some pockets of um, pretty heavily populated areas of, of Democrats as well. But it, I don't think he has a lot of precincts, as I recall. In the county, we have about right under 200 precincts total. I want to say he's like less than, I don't know, maybe around 10% of the total precincts, and they're towards the northern end. So here's a question. In the congressional delegation, you know, four, let's see, yeah, one, two, three, four different members of Congress represent Anne Arundel County. Um, some Republicans won. Yeah, the Democrats also won. And so – it, it, the delegation seems sort of 
split and the, the political dynamics. I mean, looks like Anne Arundel County, it's not a definitive Republican county anymore. It's a purple county. Would, would you agree, Jerry? It, well, it certainly has trended more purple in, the, uh, in this election than it was previously. You know, the, the interesting part, if you look back at the presidential elections, you know, over the past, say, four or five cycles, the Republican has won every every time except for this last time. Hillary actually um, beat Donald Trump here in in Anne Arundel County not by a small margin. I want to say one or two percentage points, but the the gap has narrowed each presidential. And of course, you know, traditionally, like the rest of the state, the voter turnouts higher during your presidential years than it is during your gubernatorial. Although. I think you know when you look at the numbers that are in this most recent election, you'll see there's definitely an uptick in voter turnout across the board in this gubernatorial uh, if you compare it to previous gubernatorials. But the uh, definitely you know that gap has narrowed between the Democratic and Republican nominee each of the last presidential cycles, and like I said, this is the first one where the Democrat actually surpassed the Republican uh, presidential candidate. And so it wasn't – I don't think it was a huge surprise that you know, we saw some of the things we saw, although I think there were some, definitely some surprise uh, politicians on election night and even after the absentees were, yeah. were, um, were counted. Let's talk about that. I want to talk more now into the state, the state Senate and the state House races. You have District 21, District 30, District 31, and District 30. Two and 33, that is Senate districts inside of Anne Arundel County. Quite a split there. Uh, uh, Jim Rosapep, yeah, there's, there's no contest. It's not even worth mentioning that race. Um, but here's the big race, and this is where the Republicans targeted as part of the drive for five. The Sarah Alfreth and Ron George, and I think I'm saying her name right. Is it Alfreth? That's correct. It okay. is Alfreth, yes, correct. Ron George, longtime member of the House of Delegates, well-known guy, has a jewelry shop down in the, the city of Annapolis, I believe. I still think he owns that. That's that was a race. Yep. Yeah, that was a race that all politicos had their eye on all over the state. And that came down on election night. Are you surprised that Sarah pulled it out over Ron? You know, uh, if I – there were a lot of people that had a lot of varying opinions on what the outcome of that race was going to be. And I will just say from my perspective, and I know Ronnie's a great guy. I know Sarah as well. Um, she's certainly worked uh, very hard. And in Ron, as you mentioned, you know, he served well in the House of Delegates and, of course, you know, ran for you – know, chose to ran, run for governor in 14, was one of the Republican, you know, nominees in the – or one of the Republican candidates in the primary. And, of course, you know, uh, Larry went on to win the, the primary there, and so he was out for the last four years. And and uh, so he, you know, this was sort of a comeback for him. And he announced, if you'll recall, actually, it was pretty early on, like I want to say less than a year after the yeah. last election, that yeah. he was going to run for Senate in this district and uh, had his announcement down on Main Street with many of the sort of party leaders, uh, quote unquote, behind him in that announcement. And, but I will tell you, you know, Sarah Elfrith has worked extremely hard. And I, I watch, social media and you can always sort of tell the candidates that are really out there 
uh, you know, really working and knocking on doors and doing sort of the grassroots things that we all know pay off in the end. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I did not see the same level of uh, social media grassroots sort of efforts uh, from from Ron George as I did from Sarah. So if you'd asked me, you know, prior to the outcome Tuesday night, who was going to win, I would have guessed her just because of that, you know, sort she of grassroots hard. effort that she had. I mean, she really worked hard. That was in, that was she impressive. Did. So she did. Know, and of good course, on that her. seat was a Democrat seat before. You know, it was uh, yeah, held by John, John Astle, who who was uh, you know more of a mod, what I would consider more of a moderate Democrat. Yeah, and sure. uh, I think most would would agree with that. And uh, you know, he won last time. I think he actually, I want to say, as I recall, he he won on in early voting last time, but then lost on election day by a small margin, but his early voting margin was large enough to sort of uh, get him across the finish line. And so, you know, he ran for mayor and then of course decided not to run again. So the seat was open. Well, that I, I I think Sarah is being viewed by state politicos as a rising star in the democratic party. And I think we're, and she's, I believe the youngest state Senator now, We'll, we'll enter as the, I, the youngest. I think that both of those things are true. I do. I agree with you. So uh, what about the District 32 race? Um, Pamela Beidel and John Grasso. The, John Grasso got yeah. quite a bit of coverage. He sure did. You know, I served on the county council with John over the past eight years, and he was uh, quite a character. Oh, he never knew uh, what was going to uh, come out of his mouth. You know, he whatever he thought in his head came right right out and it was kind of zero filter and, and a lot of people like that you know a lot of people sort of um like the sort of you know realness of it i guess the authenticity of it um and of course it you know irritated others as well so he uh took on you know miss Beidel, who served you know multiple terms on the county council and then i think yeah. she was finishing up her third term in the house and so uh the outcome, I'm sure, was not what he what he anticipated. And I think some of the, from what I've told, some of the polling that the Republican Party had in general was showing different outcomes than what ended up happening on election day. And I think part of that was, the, in my opinion, I don't know all the details of the polling and how they took it and structured it, but it seems to me that they were probably off in their turnout numbers just because I think they probably underestimated the level of, you know, activity from Democratic voters. Well, so, and but in not that only district, that. it was pretty significant win for vital it was a significant win do you think that where well let me back up where did governor hogan stand in this people were confused people some people thought that governor hogan had endorsed grasso but is that what happened there i mean you know they he did not uh, endorse grasso uh, i believe there was a confusion there because his campaign was being run by Lawrence Scott, and Lawrence put some mailers and literature out that I think had some of the other House candidates that actually had an endorsement from the governor on the literature and had included John's picture on there and some other kind of uh, information about John. So there was, a, you know, people were, mis- I guess, they looked at it and were confused because they thought that potentially the governor was endorsing him, which which was not the case. And then, uh, you know, John made some statements and I'm sorry. 
I said the governor probably ran as far as he could from that race. Jeez. Well, yeah, and I mean, frankly, he, you know, the thing is, you know, this kind of goes back to, you know, John was attacking him on multiple occasions over some issues we were having on the county council with the liquor board here in Anne Arundel. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, there, the, the governor, you know, I think, pro- you know, properly distanced himself in, in that situation there. Um and so, you know, John John ended up, I think, after the whole latest round of things he put out on Facebook, um, <laughs> when the governor declined to to uh, endorse him and said no, he'd never endorse him. The John turned around and sent a mailer out saying that he endorsed the governor. So um, that was kind of interesting to uh, sort of a, a change of events. <laughs> well, that was, uh, was kind of a that was weird. Um, yeah, so it was a little strange. Let's. Oh, and one other thing before we get into the uh, the state house races, District 33 was a little closer than expected. Old Big Ed Riley, I think. In fact, I'm looking at the results now online from the Maryland State Board of Elections. Eva Hurwitz, he beat Ed Riley in early voting, but Ed Riley crushed him. Then, well, I don't say crushed, but he got 22,910 votes to. The other guy's uh, the 16,761 on Election Day. But I, uh, that, that's a little close for comfort for Big Ed. Yeah, he's, you know, uh, he's a very well-liked senator here in Anne Arundel County. Obviously, he served two terms on the county council. He actually served in the seat that I serve in currently uh, prior yeah. to my uh, being elected. So, um, you know, popular local business guy, very involved in the schools and family all here in the area and uh yeah i think that probably was a little uh closer than than probably some of the previous races you know some of the analysis that i had heard previous to or leading up to i guess the election was that there was i think the state party had hired some outside folks to kind of look at some of the senate districts to see obviously we they targeted the drive for five to try to obviously pick up the five seats that they needed for the governor to, you know, sort of override these uh, <clears throat> these uh, vetoes that uh, – to block the override of the vetoes that was happening there. But they also identified four or five seats that they felt like could be vulnerable um, that we might potentially lose. And I don't know what the other ones were, but I know this was one of them, and I think part of that was based on the fact that you look at the presidential election – and Hillary Clinton won in, in a number of the precincts that were in this district. And, of course, you know, we know looking at data from the presidential that you – what we saw was areas where there were uh, people with higher education um, and also uh, female voters that were, uh, I guess, middle and upper class tended to not vote for the president. And so they yeah. – uh, were concerned that this was one of those districts that had those sort of demographics and could potentially swing the other way, you know, given the right set of circumstances. So it was certain, certainly something that I know the Senator was concerned about prior to the election. So it's interesting to see the outcome there. It very interesting district 30 a and 30 B that's split up over two. district 30 split up in two districts, a and B, as I just mentioned, of course, uh, Speaker Bush won overwhelmingly 32%. Alice Kane won. Uh, Seth Howard won in Republican in District 30B. 
Um, and then 31A, the uh, – Can I stop Air- you just for a second on the yeah. 30A, just as a point of uh, interest? Uh, if you'll recall, Herb McMillan was the other delegate, uh, Republican, right. in 30A with the Speaker. And in the last election, he actually had ended up with more votes than the Speaker did. And oh. then, of course, decided not to run um, this time, and, and he had sent a you know, letter to the editor in talking about you know, sort of party right. boss politics on both sides of the aisle, and <laughs> he wasn't going to run. And you know, the Democrats – so this was a Democrat pickup uh, in Anne Arundel in the House delegation. So this was one of the seats that was a Republican seat and is now occupied by Alice Kane, who's a Democrat, uh, who took that second seat in Annapolis. So oh. just a point okay. of interest for looking at the – House race that's, there in 30. That's very interesting. Um, and then we have District 31B, uh, Nick Kipke and uh, Brian Chisholm, who's new. In fact, Brian is – I don't know Brian that well. I remember Brian, I believe, had some sort of affiliation to the Bongino campaign back in 2012 when Dan ran for, for U.S. Senate. Um, and, in fact, it looks like Brian finished ahead of Nick Kipke, who's the uh, – the House Minority Leader. Yeah, that is that is actually what ended up what ended up happening. It wasn't by much, but it's still you know interesting that he did uh, come come in ahead of him. So, given the well, fact that Nick has represented that district for the past twelve years now. So. Yeah, and Nick Kiki is, uh, I, I believe, wants to be a rising star in the Republican Party, but I, I don't know. Where he has to go, I, yeah, I don't, if he ran for, I don't know what district he is in for Congress, but I, I, I think he's sort of in where he's he's gonna be, you know, him and Kathy mm-hmm. and Kathy Shalega, that is, um, as House leadership. Um, let's, uh, we'll, we'll so, come back to Nick Kipke, um, in a well, second. Well, in thirty-one B, the one point of interest here, of course, is this is the district where John Leopold. Uh, mm. Tried to make a comeback in the primary, and uh, Chisholm, Brian Chisholm, not, you know, knocked him off. They successfully blocked him with an endorsement from Hogan and some some attack mailers, um, sort of on Leopold, outlining, you know, sort of reminding voters of what happened four years, five years ago. So um, cool. that's of note. And then 31A, interestingly enough, Ned Carey, who won that seat, is is his first term there. And uh, he's one of the more moderate Democrats, but they actually came after him pretty hard, from what I understand, in the general election mailers. And so it'll be interesting to see Ned has has sort of been a pro-Second Amendment Democrat and a little more moderate, like I said, and has worked occasionally with the Republicans. So it'll be interesting to see if that continues, you know, given sort of the negative attacks that were mailed out on him in this last election. So, hmm. Yeah, well, the, the mailers are – some of the mailers, and we'll we'll get to that in just a moment. But let's go down to a district that you know well, District 33. In fact, you ran for District 33, and uh, the the primary, and um, you were defeated in the primary. <laughs> hey, I, and you faced some pretty harsh attacks. In fact, how much money did and they and you you can tell me who they are, but. How much money, Jerry, did they spend on working to defeat you in that district when you ran? Well, it's hard to put an exact dollar figure on it, but my my best guesstimate is somewhere between eighty and a hundred thousand dollars. And uh, wow, yeah, it's it's kind of shocking when you think about it, uh, especially you know if you look at the broader context of 
the number of house seats, and I don't know what the final number is that we've lost statewide, but it's, I guess, it's somewhere in the seven or eight range. We only yeah. had 50 to begin with, and now we're back down to sort of 2006, you know, levels of Republicans in the House. Um, so, you know, given some of the fact that these, some of these races were fairly close, you know, 500, 800, 1,000 votes apart in other parts of the state, and yet we spent eighty to a hundred thousand dollars in a Republican primary just to, well I mean if I was a Republican in another county that lost by five hundred a thousand votes, I'd be pretty frustrated right now given the they fact spent that, a lot they, of money. Know, that money could have been spent. Yeah. And and some of the who's and it's we we say they and it's always like a who is they? Is it a dark outside <laughs> contributor? Well, no, it's the Republican establishment in Anne Arundel County. Steve Shu, he didn't he didn't want you to win that seat, Jerry. He certainly didn't Correct. want you to. Win. And so then you have Lawrence Scott, who is the dark underlord of Maryland Republican politics. He's the go-to guy if you want to run a negative campaign. And and Lawrence Scott's, I guess, favor you would say he's won quite a bit of races. He's lost some. But Lawrence Scott is known to play dirty. Lawrence Scott, of course, is the son to Audrey Scott, the former state party chair of the Maryland Republican Party. Lawrence Scott has a consulting business. I think he's an attorney as well, and I think he worked for the county. And Lawrence Scott is just known to to play dirty, to 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 really hit people below the belt. Same thing with Steve Shuey. He's when um, uh, Laura um, remind me of her last name. I can't Newman. Newman. Yeah, Laura Newman. When she ran uh, four years ago, man, in that primary, that was a mess. They really hit her hard, and it was some deeply, profoundly personal attacks. I think people in the state of Maryland, Jerry, they're tired of Lawrence Scott. The Republican Party should be tired of Lawrence Scott running these negative campaigns. It's the same old playbook, too, and yeah, they ran this campaign against you. You're an independent thinker, which I love about you. You don't. You're not part of the good old boy Republican establishment. You do your own thing. You vote the right way. You vote your conscience, and they never could control you, Jerry. And that's why I think they were so hard up. And look, who squeaked by in that primary? Tony McConkey, one of the most ethically challenged members of the Maryland House of Delegates. Tony McConkey is now going to be former delegate Tony McConkey. He lost to Heather Bagnell in absentee ballot by only a, you know, like 100 or so votes, maybe less. And Tony McConkey, who was actually, I think, censured uh, for some ethical issues, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad in a way to see the voters say, you know what, we're, we're not going to do this. We're not going to go this same route anymore. And McConkey's a... He's an outspoken kind of guy. He opens his mouth at all the wrong times, and he kind of says all the wrong things sometimes. And I think it's going to be a relief for that district, uh, Jerry. Yeah, it was kind of frustrating, obviously, from my perspective. You know, I've served uh, here in the county for the past eight years on the council, and I feel like I've done a good job and I've built a lot of you know relationships here in the county. And only a small sliver, about a quarter, I guess, of the legislative district – uh, was included in my council district. And so when I decided to run, you know, I re realized that three quarters of this new legislative district that I was attempting to represent were people that, you know, didn't know me. I hadn't represented them before. So I, you know, knocked on 
probably close to 5,500 doors, I think is my final sort of estimate. And that was done over a period of a year and a half. There was seven of us running in a, you know, in a primary. And so I was the only one getting attacked. Um, basically, that's the, what it boiled down to in my analysis. You know, I was getting attacked. The information that was being put out there wasn't accurate. and It was twisted. And it was twisted to obviously make me look like a bad Republican. And so, uh, you know, I ended up losing the race, and it was very frustrating. And they spent, as I mentioned, somewhere in the eighty to $100,000 range. It's kind of hard to say exactly how much they spent, but they spent it through two different accounts, one of which was the House Republican Caucus account, which has been traditionally used to raise money to elect Republicans. And so when a number of folks that supported me and donated to me found out that they've been giving money to the caucus and the caucus was using the money to attack me. They were very frustrated. First two mailers hit October or so of last year. So they, they really got an early start on it. And when those donors were frustrated, they spoke out. And so they backed off using that account and they opened up another one and started spending money out of there, both attacking me and also promoting the three sitting delegates in an attempt to you know protect them. So, the three of them made it back through successfully, and you know, uh, I obviously hate to see Republicans lose another seat in the House, but I feel pretty confident that if I'd have made it through that primary, I would have easily you know, held on to that third seat. So, where was Ki- where was Kipke in all of this? Well, if you look at the two accounts, you know, obviously the the first account that was being used, the Republican Caucus account, is is run by the you know minority leader and the whip. So, you know, Delegate Kipke and Delegate Chalega were behind and approved of the mailers that were sent out. The chairman of the House Caucus account is the chairman of the Republican Party. So you have a chairman of the Republican Party and the House leader attacking a sitting Republican elected official using funds that were supposed to be for getting Republicans elected in the House. So So I think there was, you know, obviously frustration on my part and other people's too. Yeah. So basically, Nip Kipke, who is the House Minority Leader, I hate to use this terminology, but they, in effect, sanctioned a hit on you politically to to knock you off, to maintain their their status quo because you weren't one of their team members. You weren't one of them, and so it's sort of – why would Nick Kipke or Kathy Shalega – get into the weeds of this dirty politics. That doesn't seem like that would be even their place to do that. You know, there's a lot of theories on that. Obviously, the county executive and I didn't get along, and Steve Shue was a House – you know, he sat in the House of delegates before he was county exec, and he served in the same district that uh, Delegate Kipke serves in, so they were yeah. you know, very close friends. And uh, I think he was, in my opinion, the one behind sort of prompting – the leader to come after me and uh that that's sort of my take on you know why it was being done but i think it's sort of a, a rumors here in the county were that as mr she was finishing up his second term that it's no secret that i've been expressed interest in wanting to run for county executive in the future and i believe yep. the same is true for for nick so i think it was sort of a twofer if you will you know he gets to attack me and continue to maintain control over the people that he, 
you know, had in the, in the, in the district as well as potentially damage me and, or take me out prior to me challenging, you know, him for that County executive seat in the future. So that's huh. kind of my take on, you know, what, and there, I guess the motivation behind it. So, but ultimately, you know, the frustrating part about it is that, you know, Republicans lose another seat in the house because they decided to spend money protecting somebody who was, as you pointed out, you know, ethically uh, challenged and, Tony has lost well, law license, lost his real estate license, and been, as you mentioned, well, been censured by the House Ethics Commission. So, yeah, good riddance, Tony McConkey, and I think that's going to be uh, a burden lifted off of the House of Delegates, just as some of the the Democrat, you know, look at Ulysses Curry, some of the other Democrats that have ethical problems. Delegate Kurt Anderson, Tony McConkey's another one, and thank thank goodness, I think that that was a indelible stain on the Republican Party and you know, as dwindled as they are and as defeated as they might be, that is actually, a, I think, a solid win for them. They would probably want to rid their hands of, of him and then come back in four years and find a, a better Republican. But looking at this county executive race, man, that was the upset for me. I, I, I didn't see it coming. And I would also say that the Howard County race was, I, I thought maybe Kittleman was going to pull that out. But nonetheless, Stuart Pittman, I don't even know Stuart Pittman. What's his background, uh, Jerry? Uh, you know, interestingly enough, as I mentioned sort of at the beginning uh, when we were talking, I, I do know him fairly well. He was a constituent of mine, and he's been a constituent of mine for the past you know, eight years. And I actually met him fairly early on. He, he and his family have a farm in my district that's somewhere between four and 500 acres. And my understanding is that the land was actually given to them by the king, literally, the king <laughs> prior to uh, <laughs> the United States of America. And uh, they, it's been in their family for generations. And they, Stuart in particular, on that property runs a equine operation. He has a large riding arena and stables, and people board horses there, and they do horse lessons. And his sister and brother-in-law own a vineyard on the property and a, and a winery. Uh, it's a beautiful, nice. beautiful piece of property. And I was able to actually help them out, you know, back when I first got on the council, why we had one or two vineyards here in the county and that they were trying to get their operation up and running. And as most counties, you know, we're still across the state trying to figure out how to embrace this sort of local wines and local beers and things that are, you know, the citizens are actually calling for, but the zoning code is sort of antiquated and and has it made all of those farmers' lives very easy when it comes to trying to set some of these operations up. So they sat down with me and said, look, we need some help, and we want to open this up, and we want to provide this you know, great local wine to Anne Arundel County residents in the state of Maryland, and, and we've got some you know, roadblocks of legislative you can help us with. And that's how I met him. And uh, so from there, we worked on a couple of other issues We're, with the Farm Bureau and with the Soil Conservation District uh, Related to agricultural structures, we got a bill passed to remove the permits and regulations on farms. So that's how I met Stewart, and, and I've worked with him on a lot of different ag issues over the past eight years. And most recently, uh, some stuff dealing with solar. That's been a lot of you know discussion about that across the state as well. So you know, he politically he's new to the game, so to speak, here in the county. And but was active in sort of on the peripheral with different pieces of legislation that were related to you know the operations and businesses that he was involved in. 
What do you think was the downfall of Xu in this election? Well, you know, I think there's a there are a couple of factors, and you know, if you if you look back and sort of compare uh, 2014 to 2018, uh, one thing in particular I would say that's sort of been a drumbeat that's been pretty consistent over the past four years has been the issue of development. And, you know, Mr. Shu and I haven't gotten along, you know, over this past four years all that much, but, um, and I, but I will say sort of in his defense to a certain extent that, that the development that has occurred isn't all his fault because underlying zoning really is quite often what determines what can and can't be built on (laughs) certain pieces of property. I do think that there was a public perception, whether it was real or, or false, that you know he was uh, in, in the pocket of developers. Uh, there were anecdotal stories of things that were being done that you know people in public didn't like, and there were projects that were being approved that people felt like shouldn't have been approved, or that there were rules being interpreted certain ways to benefit developers. Whether that actually happened or not, you know, I, I don't. Um, I'm not going to weigh in on that piece, but the public perception was that you know development was out of control and and he was to blame because he was at the top, you know. So that was definitely one of the factors. I think part of it too is you know stylistically uh, his approach to handling and dealing with issues uh, is one of the things that also hurt him. Um, if you Look at some politicians, you know, how they respond to crisis situations when they run into them. And you can, they can either, you know, sort of say to the public, hey, we're going to, you know, throw the car in reverse and back up and start over again. And quite often that sort of approach tends to appease folks who feel like that they got bypassed in the process of the decision making. And instead, I think his sort of mindset was we're going to mash the gas pedal to the floor and keep going. And try to make adjustments along the way, and that's not always received well. And whether that's with the police officers in the county who didn't back him, the firefighters who didn't back him, the teachers who were upset with him, uh, you know, the community over development issues. I think there was just sort of a groundswell of response to the to his style that you know that hurt him ultimately. Um, hmm. Did it have anything to do with the the national fervor against some Republicans? I definitely think that that, you know, I think that definitely played into it. I would say, you know, and I, I think that if you look across the state, you know, the only person who sort of seemed to uh, not be impacted by that was the governor. And I think that's because yeah. he had done a, you know, a, a, jo- a good job of sort of distancing himself uh, from the president. But I think, you know, down ballot that, certainly impacted voter turnout and i think democrat levels of voter turnout when we look at this election and start to compare it you know now that we get a couple of weeks maybe away from the actual date and get to get get to see more of the statistics and the data and the turnout numbers and by precinct and the different areas i think you're going to see that democratic voters turned out at a much higher rate than they had previously much more closer to presidential level turnout than gubernatorial level turnout and that you know, in the end, ended up taking out, you know, the county executive and, frankly, other Republicans that, you know, I think people expected to win. Yeah. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't have uh, been defeated. What kind of Democrat is Stuart Pittman? Is he a, 
a middle of the road Democrat? Is he a Vangelis type or uh, you know a Mike Miller's I think that remains, style? I think his I think his style of politics remains to be seen. You know, I think uh, we'll have to see what he's like once he gets in there and 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 starts to be, to set up his team and and actually govern the county. Okay. I think there, uh, you know, he certainly has said publicly that he was intending to vote for Ben Jealous, uh, mm. not indicate he was supporting the governor. Uh, but I think he also, being around him, understands that Anne Arundel County is a purple county, and like any politician, if he gets you know, once he gets in office, he's going to want to figure out a way to stay in office and get reelected. And <laughs> in order to do that, I think he realizes he's going to need to be more centrist in his approach to the concerns that people have here in the county, both, you know, and, and handling those both, uh, you know, Anne Arundel, is, I've always kind of said to folks, you know, it's, it actually, there's more democratic voters, registered voters than there are Republicans. And there's a large, large block of unaffiliated voters as well. And those folks tend to have voted for Republicans because they tend to be fiscally, very fiscally conservative. We have, folks here who, you know, we have a property tax revenue cap in place. We have one of the lowest income tax rates, you know, in the state. Yeah. And so people want to live here for that reason. And they don't want to see politicians wasting money or raising their taxes. And so, uh, you know, I think the first crack at what we'll see as his priorities, you can usually tell those in the first budget. And that's, you know, obviously will be introduced in May of this coming year. So I think that will sort of give us a window into how the county executive elect Pittman, you know, is going to govern this county, uh, in particular how he's going to manage the money, and we'll see, you know, we'll see ultimately what his priorities are based on you know the budget document because that's really where the county executive right. shows what his priorities are is, is how he spends the money. Jerry, is there an opportunity for you to serve in his administration? <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Uh, we we haven't had a direct uh, conversation about that. I I uh, am certainly willing to help him in his uh, you know uh, role as he transitions into this role. I I know a number of you know folks on the county council have are exiting off. We only actually have one council member who's returning, so six of us mm-hmm. yeah. um, are exiting, and so there's a lot of sort of county knowledge there on the council. And I, you know, if he reaches out and asks for help, you know, in that transition period, I'd be more than willing to try to help him make that uh, transition seamless. I want to make another point as we wrap up. Steve Shue was planning to run for governor of Maryland in 2022. That was the ultimate plan. That's what insiders have told me the rumor was, is that he was going to partner up with Kathy Shalega. And that plan has been seemingly derailed. I think that was, you know, certainly uh, County Executive Shu and County Executive Kilman were both sort of in the mix and, you know, for that slot. And I think there would yeah. have been a head-to-head battle had they both been reelected. That was what I think I foresaw, and I think a lot of other folks did too. And frankly, I have a, a lot of respect. I was I was sort of less surprised with the with Mr. Kittleman's loss than I was with Mr. Shu's, only because uh, over there the voter registration is so heavily Democrat. Yeah. As compared to Republican, and so, you know, I think he kind of got caught. Um, but I, I love, I have a lot of respect for Alan. I, I really uh, think he's a great guy, and and obviously, you know, all you had to do was look at that picture of election night and him going over there and hugging Calvin Ball. 
the incoming county executive elect over there and in the process of conceding to, to, to know that he's a class act. Uh, he's a great guy. But, yeah, it definitely put sort of uh, the rest of the Republican Party on notice that, you know, we don't really have that deep of a bench. It'll be interesting to see who steps up to run for governor. There's only two Republican county executives left in the state, Alan McCarthy in Cecil County and Barry Glassman in Hartford. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the it'll be interesting to very, uh, I, I don't want to say obscure counties. That would not be fair, but lesser known counties that are not geographically centered in in the state of maryland you think of someone like a steve shoe who anne arundel county is really in the center mix of it all you kind of need somebody from that part or alan kittleman in, in howard county which is surrounded by several counties it's a purple district that leans democratic now and the really the party in 2022 that is the the republican party and i said this in many talks they don't really have a front runner because you look at Boyd Rutherford and he's a great guy. And I think he's been a fantastic Lieutenant governor. I just don't know if I, I haven't seen any indication that he would run for governor. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't asked him, but I, that's my impression. I haven't seen that either. And uh, frankly, the only other, the only other name that we haven't mentioned yet, that's sort of out there that I've continued to start to be heard now since the last week's election is uh, Secretary Kelly Scholes. Absolutely. Um, so somebody that I'm hearing uh -huh. is saying she is, you know, definitely someone that could potentially be in the queue uh, should the Republican Party uh, not have anyone she's else step future. up. So. She's the future of that party. I, I mean that. She's, and it, she's a fantastic she's individual. She really is. Uh, absolutely. And, and Kelly would be, you know, she has a bright future, whether she comes back to Frederick County and decides to run for county executive in 2022 and who knows she could run for the congressional seat the redrawing the the lines and mm -hmm. <laughs> neil parrot is already out the gate running for public office in washington county and with with you know three days after he won election in district two he comes out and announces on a friday afternoon or morning it was pouring down rain he goes to the city park in hagerstown and says he's running, starting the exploratory committee for Congress. And I mean, I get it. The this, the district, uh, the, the federal judges said that uh, they the state needs to redraw the congressional lines. But it's like, come on, man, what are you thinking? Uh, you know, a couple of days after, get wait and see what happens. But yeah, Kelly Schultz. But you know, the Steve Shue, that was the he was supposed to run for governor. He was supposed to win the nomination. And he was going to – the rumor has it that he was supposed to select uh, Kathy Shalega, who already ran statewide before. And that – I don't know how somebody, Jerry, comes back after four years of being out of office. I just don't – I don't know how that would work. I just don't see it. It's certainly uh, much more difficult. There's no question. Hmm. Well, I am um, – I'm going to be following this, and we didn't get a chance to talk about the county council races. That's okay, but uh, we'll we'll get to that some other time. But Jerry, a lot has changed in Anne Arundel County. It's purple. It's purple county, and it, it's uh, it a lot going on. And I I'm, I'm imagining that the new delegation, who's now Democratic, um, who's going back to Annapolis this session, um, I'm sure you're going to follow that closely what's um what's next for you in your career 
You know, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I I still feel like I have uh, the ability and willingness to serve at some point in the future. Uh, as I stated earlier, you know, my my long-term goal is to, to run for county executive at some point. Uh, I love Anne Arundel County. I love the people here. I understand county government. I went back in my second term actually on the council to get my master's degree in, in public administration and public policy. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. Um, when the time's right, you know, I'll continue to keep myself sort of out there and involved and interested, and uh, we'll see what happens. Well, that's great. And one thing I wanted – before we sign off, um, I was surprised. The clerk of the city, the circuit court, Doug, Doug Arnold lost. That was surprising. Yeah, that was another one that I, I failed to mention. But, yeah, I was shocked by that, and that's another one of those where I think just sort of the – Democratic turnout sort of swamped, you know, him over. He, he, his opponent, literally a number of Democrats were saying to me on election night uh, that they were all kind of looking around, standing, standing at each other, talking, saying, you know, who, who is this guy who just won the clerk of the court position because he hadn't had any fundraisers. He had five dollars in his account, you know, as a joke. I don't know how much he actually had, but it was, you know, nothing. Hadn't done much. Didn't have a sign up. And nobody working the polls for him. And you know, Doug had hundreds of signs all over the county and yeah. had raised thousands of dollars and had mailers and knocked on 8,000 doors and, and ended up losing. Um, great wow. guy, has done a great job for us at the, at the court courthouse, and he will be missed there for sure. Well, Jerry Walker, I appreciate your time on a Sunday evening after you came back from the Redskins game. I'm sorry they lost, but uh, maybe next – I don't know if they're on a bye week this week, but uh, there's be a lot of a lot of football coming up. Thanksgiving, and that's that's a great yeah. time to watch. But yeah. um, absolutely is. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you coming on, and I always yeah. like talking about politics, and in particular in my own county. So, well, Jerry, I appreciate all your insight. That's important. People, you know, my goal, Jerry, is to go through the different counties and make sense of the election results. And Anne Arundel County is such an important county, and um, I'm hoping to 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 get Alan Kittleman on. I'd like to talk to him because he's. He's a stand-up guy and somebody that should be modeled in public service, and you as well. You've always conducted yourself as a, a gentleman, somebody who's independent thinking that doesn't toe any specific line, and you've always made the right decisions based on um, what you thought was best for your constituents. So, And thank you for the, the eight years you've served on the council. Public service is so important. Anybody who's considering it should look to, to, to folks like you and Alan and and many others throughout our state. And, and also thanks for serving as Mako president. Um, and I'm sure Jerry in the next four years, I know you're going to stay involved and I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to your future and it's going to be fun to watch. So thanks again and happy Thanksgiving. Thanks Ryan. You too, buddy. All right. Take it easy. Bye-bye. All right, friends, that was Jerry Walker, councilman uh, in Anne Arundel County. And he, uh, Talk, told us all about what happened in the election in uh, Anne Arundel County. So that uh, that was fun. He's a great guy. If you haven't met Jerry, he's also a fellow bow tie aficionado like myself. I love to wear the bow tie. And there's nobody who can rock a bow tie better than Councilman Jerry Walker. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Be safe. Have a great time on Thanksgiving. No political you can talk to your family members about listening to a minor detail. That will soothe it all because at a minor detail, 
We are bipartisan. Uh, we don't toe the line of any political party. We bring out the facts. We talk about the story. We get the details out, and that's what we do, and we're pretty easy. We, we talk about Maryland, and it's a great place to live, raise a family, send your kids to school, and I'm invested. I love my, I love my community, and that's why I do what I do, and I appreciate anybody who listens, including um, – <laughs> Somebody who told me the other day, uh, I'm like one of the nine people that listen to your show. And it's like, well, if you saw my analytics, it's a little bit more than that. But um, nonetheless, anybody who does listen, I always appreciate the download. I'm on iTunes. Uh, you can find a Minor Detail Radio podcast on Stitcher, on TuneIn, and on blogtalkradio.com slash a minor detail. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody, and have a safe and happy holiday. God bless. 